Let me invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're doing a, an Advent series on uh, the gifts of God. And so we started week one with the giver of the gifts, God himself. Um, last week we were looking at the gift of grace. And today we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, and, uh, and, and reflect on the gift of eternal life. Uh, so if you have that place and you're able to stand, please stand in honor of God's word. We're just going to use these few verses as a, a jumping off place to, to think more about what the nature of this gift is. So this is um, verses 20 to 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, would you uh, please add your blessing to the reading, hearing, and receiving of this word. Help us to understand this gift that you so freely give, um, the gift of eternal life. Help us to know you better as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Um, so, uh, you know, the, that the phrase eternal life is used a couple of times in these verses, uh, we want to look, first of all, at the, the nature of the gift, uh, you know, that it comes to us without any uh, earning on our behalf. And then, um, so it's a gift that we receive, but do we really, how well do we really know the nature of that gift? Like, what is it? Um, you're unwrapped a gift, and you're like, great, what is this? Um, so, so what is eternal life? And, uh, and then we'll wrap up with, like, how do you experience it? Um, it's a gift, here's, a, here's what it is, and then so what? Like, how do you, how do you put this thing to work? Uh, so let's start, uh, start with the, the gift aspect. And in verse 20, you know, Paul's making this comparison between uh, sort of wages and things you earn and then what God gives that's freely received. And that's an important distinction here because he, first of all, talks about when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So, so what I want um, just to start off with is a little bit of a clarification. When, when Paul says that, hey, back in those days when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, I just want you to kind of imagine some air quotes around that word free. Like nobody's really free from God's commands. Um, that's, that's imposed on every human being. But when you were slaves of sin, you, you know, we weren't able to obey the law because we were only able to do what our nature enabled us to do. Um, a dog is not able to meow, and a cat is not able to bark because they are constrained by their nature. Uh, and, and if we're constrained by our sin nature, we're, we're not going to be free to do what's righteous because, you know, we're controlled by the sin nature. Here's another way to think about it. Um, a person who, who wants to go skydiving, God, you know, God bless them, I'm not going to jump out of a plane. Uh, but if they want to go jump out of a plane, good for them. Uh, the, the strange thing would be the person who says, you know, I just, I see the parachute, but it looks, it just looks cumbersome. I don't like straps. I, they just, you know, they constrict, they chafe. 
especially certain parts of the anatomy. I just, you know, I just don't want to mess with that. I'd rather be free. I don't want to, I don't want to wear the parachute. Well, they're free not to wear the parachute. They're free to jump out of the plane without the parachute. But they're not free from gravity. They're still a slave to the law of gravity. Um, same thing with some kind of, imagine, I guess, a deep sea diving expedition. And um, so everybody's on the boat and, and they, they're going to go like deep, you know, deep water. And, uh, and, and there's the scuba gear, but that's just the tanks, the mass, the gear, you know, all that stuff. Um, I just, I don't want to wear that. I'm just going to dive down. Like, great. You're free to do that. You are completely free from the constraints of that scuba gear, but you're not free from the laws of oxygen. So this is sort of what Paul's mentioning here. People are free to do whatever they want, and they're free to sin, um, but they're slaves, right, to that. And, uh, and so here's, here's the principle. What, in verse 21, Paul asks, what fruit were you getting when at that time from, from the things of which you are now ashamed? So there is this universal thing called a conscience. And everybody has this sense of when I'm doing right and, and, and when I'm doing good, that's great. And, and I also know when I'm not doing great. People can deny that, you know, these antiquated codes apply to them if they want. They're free to do that. But no matter where you go in human cultures, uh, there's going to be things like shame. And shame is a result of us feeling like I'm out of step with what, you know, what, what's right and what's good. Uh, I'm not living up to, to that ideal. I'm not living the way that I'm, I should. And God put that there. That's eternity written on our hearts. Uh, and so Paul's asking, what fruit did, were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? People know. We don't, we don't, it's not our job to have to convince them and berate you know, them with Bible truths to say that you know, the wages of sin is death. People just know it. People know that if I turn from what God has commanded and what's right and what's good, righteousness, and if I follow my own way, then that's going to lead to sin, that's going to lead to shame, and that's ultimately the, the path that's going to bring death. And, uh, and, and that's why Paul's saying at the end of verse 21, the end of those things is death. And then in verse 23, the wages of sin is death. He kind of is repeating himself, right? The end of those things is death, the wages of those things is death, the fruit of those things is death. Uh, and, and just people, like I said, cultures understand this intuitively. You reap what you sow. Um, a principle like that you can find in any holy book, any tradition, any religious you know, tradition is going to have that same basic model. And it, you read Job, right? He's righteous. He hasn't done anything wrong, but he's still suffering. But, but his counselors who think they're giving him wisdom... They're applying sort of these general observations without any nuance, without asking questions about, so, so Job, did you sin? Oh, you didn't? Oh, this is terrible. We're so sorry. Instead, they imagine he sins. Why? Because of this sort of principle, Job 4.8, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Just people just know this. We may deny it because it's inconvenient to acknowledge that, but deep down, that's why we feel guilt. That's why we feel shame. Every culture does. And, and so Paul's point here is, look, the wages of sin, the fruit of sin, the end of sin is going to lead to shame. It's going to lead to guilt. Ultimately, leads to death. The contrast that he wants to make is in verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, 
The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Okay, cool. Um, it's, a, it's, it's not as, as clear initially, though, because it might sound like Paul is saying that our good fruit leads to eternal life as if it was something we earn by being good. Um, you know, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. He's saying that the, the end of sin is death. You know, you could read this and sort of get confused thinking that the, the, the fruit of sanctification, its end is eternal life, like something we earn. But he's going to clarify that, right? Um, it, it, don't ignore the logic of verse 22. Like you've received something. It's a but now statement indicating there's this change that's taken place. That change is that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. You put the snorkel gear on or the scuba gear on. You, know, you put the parachute on. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to encumber myself. I'm going to restrain myself with these things willingly uh, and come under um, in submission to the, to, to the scuba gear, in submission to the parachute in order to flourish. Uh, and, and so this is this gift that's been given to us. And, and that's why verse 23 gives us even more clarification. Look, um, the wages of sin, what you earn from our sin is death, but the gift, something that's not earned, uh, is eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul's wanting to be clear that our, our good fruit isn't what earns eternal life for us. It's the outworking of that gift for us. Um, here's here's kind of trying to put it in, in more of a, a contemporary setting. Um, we're get, coming up on Christmas. Christmas is a week away. I've noticed some, some college students back. Good to see you guys back. You've probably got your three days straight of sleep and you're feeling refreshed. I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, and now you're wondering, like, what do I do with all my free time? I don't have any exams to study for. I don't have any reading to do. And all my friends are gone and I'm stuck home and I'm bored, you know. And so mom and dad, who are super clever, you know, they're, they're intuitive. They're feeling this out. We want to, uh, how can we kind of get a win-win going here? There's all the fall leaves, you know, that have fallen and... We haven't gotten to those. So here's, we know you've wanted, you know, um, they're, they're teenagers home from college. Uh, Johnny, we'll call him Johnny. We know you've wanted that, that PlayStation 5, and, uh, and here's the deal. You rake all the leaves over the next few days, and uh, we'll get you the PlayStation 5. It'll be a great win-win. Cool. Johnny says, awesome. I've wanted that for so long. Uh, and he gets out there, uh, and he's good about it, like, like, you know, first day, he's raked five bags of leaves, bags, big black lawn and leaf garden bags are piling up at the curb. Next day, goes out and rakes another five. Lots of leaves, lots of trees. Next day, another, I like the, the pile of bags is just getting bigger and bigger on the curb, waiting for the trash truck to come. And finally, all the leaves are raked up, all the bags are piled up, and then other families start coming in and things get busy and we're doing this and that and we're doing our Christmas shopping, we're doing our Christmas eating and then Christmas morning comes and oh, it's so fun and Johnny comes down and there's, there's his present and it, boy, that box looks, it looks like, I know what that tall skinny box is, that PS5 and he opens it up. Oh, cool, awesome, got the PS5. Thanks, mom and dad. Are there any other gifts for me? Oh, it's a PS5. What else did you... That's awesome, right? Yeah, but I worked for that. Where's my other gifts? 
Like that's not, was the PS5 a reward or a gift? He worked for that. It's, it's not something that mom and dad can pass off as a gift. Like, you know, that's wrong. We don't earn the gift. It's supposed to be given freely. What about all these leaves that he piled up? This testament to all his hard work and just trying to, mom and dad are passing, like this mom and dad need to be fired. So verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Paul doesn't say that the wages of sin is death and the wages of righteousness is eternal life. So eternal life is this gift, and we were talking a little bit about this last week from Ephesians 2. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. It's the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. And so we're just you know, laying this groundwork from, from Romans 6, saying very clearly to all of us and reminding us, hopefully, yeah, um, I'm not earning any favor with God. I'm not scoring any points with Him. He just loves us. He just gives us the gift of eternal life freely, no strings attached, no conditions. Just, I love you. Here's the gift. I'm going to save you. It's His kindness. It's His compassion, not our trying to, you know, twist His arm and, and earn, earn favor with Him. That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. It comes to us freely. But now we want to kind of pivot, and, and now we have this gift that, that's been given so freely and so beautifully, but do we really know what it is? Do we really know what eternal life is? Like, I, I think there's a lot of things we do know, even if you're brand new to the church and brand new to the Bible, like when you hear the word eternal life, you probably have a concept that's got some good overlap biblically. You know, you're, 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 you're already ahead of the curve. But I bet there's some things that we haven't always considered or maybe thought through and connected the dots with. So I want to cover both of those things. Let's talk first of all about the quantity of eternal life. And, and that just kind of has to do with the fact that it's eternal, right? It's, it's everlasting. Uh, it, Jesus, through the gospel, gets us into heaven, and we spend eternity with God. Um, and this is what, what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 6. He says things like, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That's, that's eternal life, uh, this chronological quantity of life, and, and lots of people view eternal life simply in those terms. It's how we live forever, right? They're not wrong. Um, we know we're mortal, and, and there's a our human nature is such that as image bearers of, of the immortal one, we recognize that mortality is wrong. It's not by design. We, we weren't created to die. We were created to live forever. And there's an allergic reaction that the, the image of God has in every human being that says, I don't want to die. Death is an intruder. And so, like, all the, the movies and the stories about trying to find the, the, the fountain of youth or the, the elixir of life or, you know, whatever it is that's going to keep us from dying, that's very captivating to the human imagination because we weren't made to die. We spent a lot of money trying to push back the inevitable and, and to avoid it at all costs. And and, and, and then you've got kind of the other side of the coin. A bunch of other people who 
aren't so much afraid of dying as they are afraid of living and, and dreading another day on this, on this earth. Uh, people who have experienced so much uh, pain or loneliness or, or loss or lovelessness that the idea of living another day, seeing another sunrise is just a nightmare. And that leads them to do all kinds of painful things, right? Suicide included. They don't want to keep living. So if, if we're only looking at eternal life in a chronological sense, on, on just this timeline that never ends, uh, it, that gets, it gets complicated. That gets a little weird. There's, there's a lot of popular descriptions of eternal life that, that need, uh, need some tweaking, need some correcting, and uh, you, know, you, you could probably imagine a bunch of them too, but, but there's ways that people talk about eternal life that, that clues us into the fact that, well, maybe some of that might be true, but it's not the full picture. Like when, when people say someone's who died, they don't want to say, we don't want to say dead or died. Instead, we say, well, they've gone on to a better place. Uh, even our, our sitcoms will, will, will borrow language like the good place uh, just to try to help us wrap our, our minds around what, what happens after we die. What does that look like? And what's trying to understand the nature of eternal life and, and the ways that they conceptualize it are, are you know, very telling in the ways that we use our language. Uh, people talk about the 19th hole. <laughs> or they talk about um, eternal life as if it's some eternal vacation uh, going off on some eternal cruise where somebody brings you fancy drinks with umbrellas and fruit in them and, and it's just endless, right? Or the buffet that just never stops and uh, <laughs> all, all these different ideas. Billowy clouds and, and, and little baby angels and, and harps and, and really soft light, you know, nice, nice stuff like that. And people talk about... Um, heaven or eternal life, and they, they try to understand its nature, and they imagine it as a reunion. Uh, and it's, it's this wonderful reunion with, with loved ones that, we, that have gone on before us, who we lost, who died, and, 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 and that might even include an animal or two. Um, you know, and, and so we, there's that conception as well. Uh, and then there was the movie um, Soul by Pixar a few years ago. Uh, some of you saw that. He's, the main characters he's portrayed as like this jazz musician. He's a teacher, and he's trying to, he, he imagines himself as a professional jazz musician, and he gets this big break. He finally can play piano uh, for this major jazz star, uh, and he's so excited, and he's, and he's finally made it, and then he dies. And, uh, and, he, and, and he, he's a soul. He's a disembodied soul now, and, uh, and he's on this stairway or, or eternal escalator you know, that's on its way to the big light, the big bright light you know, on the horizon. Uh, and, and he's going, I don't want that. Uh, I want to go back and I want, I want, I want my chance to be a, a jazz musician. Um, and and it, what's kind of interesting is Pixar depicts, uh, as people are on this escalator, these souls are on this escalator getting closer and closer to the, the bright light. They literally become these little photons. They get absorbed into the big white light. And it's like, ooh, that's, that's, a, that's, not, that's not exactly attractive just to kind of be absorbed as a photon in, in, into this light. 
Uh, and then you get other people talking about heaven, and they describe it as a place with no more pain, no more, uh, no more sadness, no more death. And that's actually borrowing from the Bible. That, that, that's, a, that's true. You know, you, you've sort of got the Eastern idea of just absorbed into to, to the light or whatever, and then you've got sort of the, the biblical idea, no more pain, no more death, no more sadness. What, what's missing from all of these descriptions? Even ones that have some biblical overlap. What's missing? Anybody catch the, the missing element in all of those descriptions? Not a single one of them has, has, has mentioned anything about God. None of those concepts of eternal life or heaven or what ha- what's on the great beyond, none of them mention being with God. And, and, and that's awful, right? Like, don't fall into the false thinking that heaven's just sort of simply this place where we can go forever without any regard for God as if he's just sort of an add-on for those, oh, if you want God, he's over in room 202. Like, that's not heaven. Uh, Revelation pictures heaven as a place where God is central. There's a throne in, in the center of, of, of heaven, and, and everybody's surrounding it in concentric circles, and they are enraptured by the presence of God. Um, I, there was a, a review about the Pixar film, and I'm not here to pan it. I actually thought it was really, really interesting. Some thought some, some things were like, nah, that's not good. And other parts were like, that's amazing. And um, New Growth Press, who does a lot of great books, by the way, uh, some of you have some of these on your, your bookshelves. Um, Ted Turnow, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, wrote about Soul. I thought his review was great. It says, what the film gets wrong about our final destination is, what, is that it makes heaven boring. You, you sympathize with Joe. He's the jazz musician. You sympathize with Joe. We definitely do not want to go there. Heaven without God is boring. That's the culmination of the book of Revelation and the whole Bible, really. God comes at last to dwell with his people, the God who loved us gave his son for us, sent his spirit, created this beautiful world, saved us body and soul, who knows us inside out. wonder if that was another Pixar reference. And still calls us his children. We get to be with him forever. And then I loved his last sentence. He writes, God is infinitely fascinating, beautiful, dynamic, exciting, worthy of worship. It never gets boring in his presence. Is that how you think of eternal life? I hope so. I hope we can can get more of that thinking in in our minds. And uh, John Piper kind of has a a good um, explanation too. The gospel's not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. The gospel is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, then we have not been converted by the gospel, the real gospel. And so that's the the quantity of eternal life. What about the quality of eternal life? Yes, it's eternal. It's everlasting. It, It never stops. Um, but there's another place where Jesus says, this is eternal life. And, you know, so, okay, good. We want to know 
what is this gift that you've given us? Tell, tell us about its nature. He says, well, I'm about to unpack it for you. Here's what it is. You ready? This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what eternal life. Knowing God is the quality of eternal life, right? So it's on the one hand, you know, we get to go to heaven forever, right? And, and we spend eternity with God. The other aspect here is that, well, now heaven gets into us and we get to spend eternity with God. This is a really key point uh, of understanding what is eternal life. The gift of eternal life is the assurance that we will live forever with God in his new creation. And it's also the breaking in, even now, of his new creation into our present lives. Eternity includes the present. It doesn't have a beginning, it doesn't have an end. Um, there was, if, if you're a, a basketball player, this might interest you. You might even know about this um, study. There's a lot of money. <laughs> There's a lot of scholarship about like sports psychology. There's a lot of money that's poured into this. And there was a study done with uh, basketball players at the free throw line because, you know, big games, lots, lots of things hang on uh, as a result of what happens on the free throw line. Uh, and so there's the, there's the control group and they're just doing their thing and they're shooting free throws. And then there's group A and the study told group A, here's what we want you to do. Every time you go to the free throw line and you line up, uh, and, and you're about to take that shot, we want you to rehearse mentally, you know, to yourself, we want you to rehearse just the mechanics of the shot, okay? Um, I want you to, you know, think about how many dribbles you're going to make, where your feet are, how your knees are flexing, and what your back is, and, you know, the, the follow-through of your arm, and what the arc of the ball is, and then up to that swish, you know, just visualize it, you know, manifest it, whatever you want to do. But do the mechanics at the free throw line. That's, control, that, that's group A. Group B, they said, we want you to do something different. Don't even worry about the mechanics. We don't want you to think about how to take the shot. We want you to think about who you are. I'm a good basketball player. I have practiced all my life. I have invested. Um, my coach says I'm good. My teammates count on me. And I got this. I can make this shot. So they would just take the shot. So you got three different groups, right? Control group, they're just doing their thing, whatever. Who knows? Which, which of the groups do you think consistently scored, shot more free throws? Any ideas? Any basketball players? It's group B, right? Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Of, of course it's the group that's kind of in that positive place in their head going, I got this, I can do this, and I'm going to make the shot. And yeah, they made a lot more shots. I, I, didn't, I didn't read the, to the, all the way to the end. <laughs> I don't know how many more shots they made. But the whole point is, look, if, if you're a Christian and we're trying to, to understand this eternal life thing, like how do we get in on this? What, what, what would it look like for, like, maybe let's have control group, or group A and then group B. Group A Christians are living their Christian life thinking about the mechanics, um, here's the law, uh, here's the commandments, uh, I got to do this the right way, uh, and I got to, you know, people are watching, and, and here, here's the proper way to be a Christian, and, and that's what's going through your brain all the time, just kind of the rules. 
And then you've got group B over here, and they're going, you know what? I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the king. God, from eternity past, set his affection on me, loved me of his own kindness and grace, and decided he's going to adopt me and make me his own child. And then he sent his son, and his son spared no expense. He, he held nothing back but, but loved me and gave himself for me, even suffering the death of the cross in order to forgive my sin. Take my shame away and reconcile me to God so that there wouldn't be anything impeding my relationship with him. And then he gives me his son and puts his, I'm sorry, gives me his spirit and puts his spirit inside me. The spirit that, that, that reminds me I'm his son, I'm his daughter, that seals that relationship, that guarantees me an inheritance in heaven and, and, is, and is the presence of God with me right now. Which of those two groups who, who spend their days, wake up rehearsing the mechanics versus the beauty, uh, the rules versus the relationship. Which of those two Christians is going to have more of an eternal quality about their life? It's obvious. Look, I, Henry Skugel was a um, Scottish pastor, died a long, he died when he was like 28 years old from tuberculosis, but wrote this incredible book called The Life of God and the Soul of Man. And he says, Christians know by experience that true religion is a union of the soul with God. It's a, it's a real participation in the divine nature, the very image of God drawn upon the soul. And in the apostles' phrase, it is Christ formed in us. And then he says this briefly. I know not how the nature of religion can be more fully expressed than by simply calling it a divine life, eternal life. That's not just this thing that's waiting for us on the other side of our tombstone, but something to be enjoyed right now, a participation in the divine life. And this is what Dallas Willard, some of you know him and have some of his books he writes in The Divine Conspiracy that in sharing our weakness, Jesus gives strength and imparts through his companionship a life that has the quality of eternity. This is how we get to experience eternal life. It's, it's nature and how to experience it. Um, Jesus, from the time that he began to preach, this is in Matthew 4, uh, his message was very, very consistent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Again, Dallas Willard says this is a call from Jesus to reconsider how we've been approaching our life in light of the fact that we now, in the presence of Jesus, have the option of living within the surrounding movements of God's eternal purposes and of taking our life into his. That's a great definition of repentance. Like somebody realizing, wait a minute, you mean I can go on living my narrow, you know, tiny little life with my selfish desires and purposes, or I can get caught up in the eternal purposes of God and can be a part of his life? I'll take that trade. That's repentance. It's turning from our own selfish, tiny little narrow ambition to what God is doing in the whole universe. 
for an eternity. And then it's having the quality of eternity you know, embedded into our own lives. And that, that begins with this ongoing you know, way of recognizing, gee, maybe there's some things about even my concept of eternal life that I need to turn from, that, that I need to turn from my own ideas to God's idea, right? Um, so I want you to finish this sentence. There's a little exercise for us. You can write down the beginning if that helps, or just I'll say it a few times slowly, and you'll, you'll, you can fill in the blank. Do this silently, inwardly. You know, you and the Lord, you don't, you don't need to shout it out. Um, here's how the sentence goes. God's highest will for our lives is, you fill in the blank. God's highest will for our lives is what? There's a lot of options. I mean, you, you could fill in that blank with a ton of different things. Even some good things, right? What about obedience? God's highest will for our lives is maybe obedience. I mean, he gives us his commandments. He gave us his law. He wasn't, you know, doing that just for fun. He was serious about that. He really does expect us to live our lives consistently with his character and his will, right? So he, he wasn't mincing words when he gave us the commandments. So maybe God's highest will for our lives is obedience. Maybe. What about mission? Is God's highest will for our lives mission? I mean, he made it very, very clear in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that he wants the nations, he wants everybody to know about the good news, right? So maybe it's missions. It could be, it could be justice. Is, is God's highest will for our lives justice? Like, like speaking out on behalf of the defenseless and, and, and taking a stand for what's right and what's good, what's fair? There's all kinds of evil going on in the world, and God opposes that. Maybe, maybe that's our highest purpose. The highest will for our lives. One last option. What if it's love? Is it love? That seems kind of important, right? Well, I'm, I'm not saying there's, a, there's one right answer, but I want to tell you what this author, Richard Loveless, how, how he completed that sentence in his book, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. He wrote, God's highest will for our lives is communion with him. Communion with him. Because when you think about it, obedience is good, but you know, Jesus told that parable of the prodigal sons, plural, First, youngest son comes back, he's repentant. The oldest son, he's a hot mess. He's, I mean, you know, legit, he's been obeying everything the father commanded him, but he's angry, he's bitter, he's entitled, like, and obedient. What about mission? Well, isn't the whole point of missions, of, of going out to spread the good news, isn't it the good news of God? being reconciled to us so we can be back in relationship with them, right? Communion, right? And how about justice? Well, you can be out there beating the streets and, you know, advocating all you want, but, but you know, 
justice without communion with God is just activism. And I think love's pretty compelling, right? But, but love is, love's a pretty fluffy thing, and people get confused about the nature of love. But if, if, if your idea of love is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, yeah, you got it. That's communion. You got it. You're, you're on that same track. You're just saying it different. But, but do you get it? Like communion with God. Communion with Him is our highest purpose. It's God's highest will for our lives. And how do we experience that? Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, like when Jesus returns face to face, now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Doesn't mean that we don't see it all, and it doesn't mean that we don't know it all. We see dimly, and we know in part. That means that in this world, this life, right now, today, you and I can experience in part and dimly, but still in reality, eternal life. Communion with him. How do we have communion with God? Like, what are we doing? Are we waiting for Jesus to come back for us to have eternal life? Thinking of earth as like the waiting room outside the doctor's office. Well, we'll just, any time now, I'll get to be with Jesus. No, you can do it now. We can do it now. And this happens as we get closer to him. Let me ask you a question. When do you feel more of the uh, the, the, the qualities of eternity. When do you get to experience more love, more joy, more peace, the things that emanate from God, that define his nature, and that he's imprinting on us as we grow to be more like him? When do we get to experience more of those things? We, we, we don't get more love and joy and peace in a classroom. And you can't buy them with more tithes. And you don't get them as a reward for more obedience. You know how you get more love and joy and peace? In community. Like, what's it like to be around somebody who's super grumpy and miserable all the time? That does not increase your joy. <laughs> what's it like to be around somebody who laughs all the time? Like, just that from, from the bowels of the lungs, right? Like, just that wonderful, joyful laugh. You can't help but laugh along. And when you're around somebody who loves really, really well and abundantly and generously, you just feel more generous yourself, right? It happens in community. What happens when we're in community with Jesus more? His love, his joy, his peace rub off on us. We get to experience it. How do we have communion with Jesus? Well, there's communication, prayer, and I'm not here to tell you how to pray. I'm just here to tell you pray. Pray in a way that works for you. Communicate with Jesus in a way that works for you. And then we have communion with Jesus by coming to communion. This table right here is not just uh, some routine that we do to feel religious. Like There's a mystery going on at this table. The, the real Lord of heaven and earth offers his body and blood to us in a way that you know, defies description and is real and is a way for us to receive more of his love and his joy and his peace. So do you come to this table anticipating more of those things? Communion with Jesus? What about just communing with him? Like that sense of, of, of his presence. Uh, I, I can't remember who, who said this, but I, I, it always stuck with me when I heard this guy say that um, I am a 
consciousness with a conscience. Meaning, I am, I am a person who another person is aware of, that other person being God. He knows me. I am his consciousness with a conscience. And he gave me a conscience so that I can know him all the time. Just practicing the presence of God. The, all these words, communication, communion, commune, all begin with that same prefix. It just, just means with. With. God with us and us with him. The, the highest point, the highest goal for our lives. And then let's not forget communion just to wrap up. If a maturing Christian is somebody who's, who's received the gift of eternal life and who understands that it is fundamentally communion with God in Christ and is trying to experience more of that union with Christ, more of the presence of Christ, where can you and I go to be in the presence of Jesus? Go to those people. Being in community with maturing Christians who are all alike together working on the presence of God together. That's where we grow. That's where we receive more of that love and joy and peace. Close with Richard Lovelace again. He says, being in community with members of the body of Christ is essential to spiritual renewal. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you that it's free and it's not something that we've got to rake a bunch of leaves uh, to get. And we thank you, too, that it is eternal and it's timeless, but it's more than that. It's, it's got the quality, quality of eternity to it, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's being in your presence, and it's having you for our God who loves us and who accepts us and who welcomes us and who gives us your joy and your peace and your love. So, Lord, would you help us to experience eternal life, even now? Help us to grow in these things as we, as we get closer to Jesus, as we commune with him, certainly as individuals, but also in community with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.